Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome back to another week. Thank you. As always, good to be here. Yeah. What do you got going on this week? Mm, A lot of surfing. The surf's really good right now. It's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Other than that, nothing. Nothing. Just surfing and uh, podcasting. Surfing, podcasting, and helping clients with year-end. What more do you want? It's what we do. Um, And we have another listener question. Love it. You want to read it? Yeah, I'll read it. Um, So today's listener question uh, is, hi, both. Hello. Uh, So that's to both of us, I guess. Yeah. Which is nice. Um, Just heard your podcast on target date funds and really appreciate the insights as I just rebalanced my 401k and pulled them out of the fees uh, and my level of attention to my portfolio. Okay. Um, okay. From, from a um, financial management perspective, I may do it yourselfer with a blend of bogglehead and fire philosophy. So for those of you who don't know, boggle would be, boglehead would be like Jack Bogle, Vanguard funds, keep costs down and fires, financial independence, retire early. So save a lot uh, so you can have some freedom. Uh, okay. And then currently a third, greater than a third of my wealth is concentrated in restricted stock units and stock options from my company as a part of my annual compensation package. Is there any, is there a tax strategy in regard to timing or, and, or amount to sell my options to ease the tax burden? What are some options that would make sense to reallocate the funds from the sales? And my wife has an annuity in her 403B which I've heard slash read is not a great, great idea. So what can you explain under what circumstances is an annuity is or isn't a good option? Okay, so that's the question. Um, caveat here, as always, we are uh, gonna give opinions, but it's just an opinion and educated guesses. This is not advice, so do not take it as advice. Uh, we do not know this particular person's uh, details to give real advice. But we can walk through the things that we would look at and some methodologies and strategies that could be useful. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for the question. As always, we really appreciate get, appreciate getting those. Uh, what we can do, as always, is we'll address the question directly, but also pull out some just basic principles that anyone could apply to their financial situation yeah. based upon this. So I think the, the the core of the question, obviously, we got some background, which is helpful. But then the three questions are, is there a tax strategy in regard to timing or the amount, essentially with regards to the tax uh stock options with the tax burden. Yep. Second questions are, what do you do to reallocate those funds? And then third question has to do with a 403B being an annuity. What are our thoughts on that? So let's go through those one by one, starting with the stock options. Sure. So the first thing I would think about when I hear about the stock option question is, are you consistently getting restricted stock units and stock options on an ongoing continual basis? Hmm. And that would be different, of course, than just a one-time thing. Absolutely. And why would that be important to know? Because let's imagine that you just got a signing bonus, a one-time set of RSUs worth a half million dollars in stock options that could potentially, you know, that start with today's stock price. And so if it doubles, could be potentially worth another half million dollars. Mm -hmm. Well, that's potentially a million dollars of income, right? That could happen over a period of time. 
But if it's not going to continually happen, you can kind of plan tax years around that and be really mindful about when to put money into this tax year versus the next tax year. If I'm consistently going to get bonused out in restricted stock units and stock options, I, I don't really, the timing issue kind of fades away. Right, right. Especially, in, and then when you break it down further with RSUs, restricted stock units, you really don't have much control over the timing of that. You don't have any control. But when you mention stock options, well, the the core of that is that you have the option of when you exercise that, if ever. So that is something that you can be smart about in terms of, do you do it all in one year? Do you spread it out? And like Scott's saying, if if you have this as a one-time thing where you just were given options as part of a signing bonus or for whatever reason, then you might want to look to spread some things out. But the point that the listener made was it's part of an annual compensation package. So this isn't a one-time thing. This is something that might be or expected to be continuing to happen, which should help to drive the strategy around what to do with it. Yep. And then just for a second, for you listeners at home, like as you're backing out, thinking about like, what is a restricted stock unit and what are stock options? Just think of it this way. Um, A restricted stock unit, if James is the owner of his company, which you are, and you give me restricted stock units, and let's say they're worth $10 a share, and maybe you give me, let's, you, you can give me a hundred shares. You deserve it. And they're going to, thank you. And they're going to vest over four years. Mm-hmm. So that means next year I get uh, 25 shares vested and then the following year, another 25 and so on and so forth. And then the, the price today is $10 a share when you give that to me. Right. So the moment he gives me those shares and nothing happens from a tax perspective, nothing occurs. But the, the floor on that, uh, on that restricted stock unit for me is zero, all the way down to zero. And its current value is $10 a share. So let's just assume, move forward into a year. So it's a year from now, I get 25 of those shares. And let's say the stock price hasn't changed. It's still worth $10 a share, right? And I get 25 of them. So that's 250 bucks is due to me. Well, what will happen is um, on James's payroll, uh, it'll, it'll say like, hey, Scott, you got those 25 RSU shares. But the tax man's going to say like, hey, you owe us on that right now. Right. Right. Um, and so with restricted stock units, the value is from zero to whatever the current stock price is at the moment that it vests. Right. Is the word we're looking for when it vests. And when it vests, we have to pay taxes right then and there. Right. So a lot of people will think like, well, I want to keep holding this. And the question I always ask someone is, if I gave you a bonus today of whatever that dollar amount is, would you turn around and buy the stock? Mm. And if the answer is no, then you're going to want to choose to just sell the rest of it right away. Right. Right. So just think of it as like restricted stock units are in a sense, a cash bonus, but it's just tied to stock right. movement. Right. Is a simple way to think of it. And so for this listener, they have three options from a tax perspective. They can one, choose to do what's most commonly called sell to cover. That would mean like James gave me those 25 shares, but the federal government will say like, hey, hold on a second. We're going to withhold 22% of the value of that for your taxes. And the state of California is going to say, hey, we want 10% for us. And then Medicare is going to want a piece. So James's company that does the payroll and helps with running the options program, they're just going to say, cool, of the 25 shares, you get to keep mm, uh, 15 Mm-hmm. 10 of them we're going to take for you for taxes and withhold all of that. And that's going to show up on our pay stub. So now I have 15 shares left. So I did a sell to cover. Mm-hmm. 25 shares were there. 10 got sold to cover the costs of the, of the vest. And I got to keep 15. The next thing I could choose to do is just sell all to cash, mm-hmm. which basically just means the moment I get those shares, all shares sell to cash. 
the portion that needs to be held aside for the, the government and the taxes and all that stuff goes pushed away. And I just have cash left sitting in my account. And then the other option that we can give ourselves is we can actually put money into that account to cover the tax bill. So we get to keep all the shares. Right. It's very rare for people to do that. Normally it's the sell the cover or sell all the cash. Right. But regardless of what option you choose and, and you do have options, the, as soon as the stock vests, it's taxable, which yeah. is, which is the point Scott's making here. Um, and why that matters is part of the listener question was, is there a tax strategy in regard to the timing and or amount to sell to ease the tax burden? Well, not really with RSUs. That's as soon as that vests, that is taxable. Now, if you keep the RSUs, any future growth could be will be taxable. And based on how long you hold it, it's either taxed at short-term capital gains or long-term capital gains. But there's really not much you can do to ease your tax burden when it's RSUs with regard to the RSUs. Now, you could increase how much you're putting in your 401k or a spouse's 401k if they have one or IRA or HSA or other pre-tax investments. So you could increase the deductions you get elsewhere. There's really not much you can do with RSUs in terms of easing the tax burden when they vest. With stock options, though, whether it's ISO, so incentive stock options or non-qualified stock options, you do have some regard, not necessarily to easing the tax burden, but in terms of when you exercise or realize those gains, that is something that you have more control over. Yeah. Before we move on to that though, because more and more people, if you are getting stock comp at work, um, I work with lots of clients who get stock comp. It's just part of who we are, the firm we operate. You see more and more people are getting RSUs, restricted stock units, than are getting incentive stock options and non-qualified stock options. And so the first thing I would look at for you from a cash flow standpoint is like, do you need this money? And think about what do you want this money to be serving you? How do you want it to be serving you? Because once you know that, that should help you figure out what version of this you want to do. Do you want to keep holding some of this stock to let it go run? Because if you're, again, if you're getting those annual compensation RSU bonuses where they keep adding shares to your vest schedule, well, guess what? You're going along for the ride of the stock without actually ever holding the stock. Right. You're just holding the unvested portion of your RSUs. And if the stock, stock doubles, well, so did your unvested shares. Right. So you can do that and then take the cash off the table and go put it to work in other places. Yeah. And, and that is a nice thing about how RSUs work is because they don't typically all vest at once. You can have that sense of maybe that peace of mind of exercising the shares at vest to take some money off the table and diversify while not giving up on any potential increase in the stock value because yeah. you still have your unvested shares that will still come to you whenever those vest. So why don't we flip this to talk about those options now that you'd mentioned? Because that's it's a good, um, you're, you're absolutely right. So with stock options, like, so imagine James's company before when he gave me those, um, how many shares? A hundred shares at $10 a share? Yeah, that was worth a thousand dollars to me right away, yeah. which is very generous of you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. But if instead... Uh, and we're not going to go too detailed into incentive stock options versus non-qualified stock options. Honestly, we should have a, 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 an episode just for that. But for stock options instead, if James came to me instead and he goes, Scott, I really appreciate all you've done. And I really want us to keep growing this podcast. So I'm going <laughs> to give you a uh, hundred stock options today. And I'm going to give you a strike price of $9 a share. And let's just say like the next day we go look at the stock price for his company and it's worth $10 a share. Yep. Well, okay. So that, that hundred options, they still have to vest over the four year schedule, but now what they're really worth to me in that moment is they're really worth $10 a share minus the $9 strike price, which is what I have to show up with to pay for that option. So it's really worth a dollar a share to me. And there's a hundred of those. So it's really worth a hundred dollars to me. Right. So the RSUs before were worth a thousand. Now these are, are worth 
a hundred. Right. So you're really not as generous. Well, and that's what it looks like at first glance. I'm actually very generous, Scott, and here's why. Uh, <laughs> what typically happens as a company is they'll grant you one amount of RSUs, let's say 100 in this example, Yes, and they might grant you 1,000 stock options. It's, and usually what you'll see with tech companies and life science companies, it's usually a three to one ratio. Mm-hmm. So for every one RSU you'll see granted, there'll usually be around three options granted. Right, and that's because RSUs those have value no matter what, as long as the stock has value. Yeah. Options are only valuable if the stock exceeds the strike price. Yeah. And and so what you'll see is that our, that stock option may not be very valuable to you when it's just trading at $10 a share if your strike price is $9 a share. But if that stock goes up by 10%, so it goes from $10 a share to $11 a share, mm-hmm. well, guess what? The value of your stock option actually went up 100%. Yeah, it went from $1 more. a share to $2 a share. Yeah. So the, the unique thing about stock options, whether ISOs or uh, non-qualified stock options, is any increase in the value of the stock above the strike price, the corresponding increase in the value of the stock options actually goes up by more than that. Yeah. So, so we call that leverage. It's leveraged. And so from a tax strategy standpoint and just an overall financial planning standpoint, you do have some, you have typically these expire. So you might have to exercise them within 10 years or so. But the stock options from a tax standpoint, you might look at how do you exercise those uh, while still staying in some certain tax bracket, for example. So, okay, the RSUs, you have no control over. Your salary, you have no control over. That's just shown as income. Can you exercise stock options to fill in a tax bracket without exceeding it is is one potential option. I think that's a great option. And I think so too. So that's really, so what you're, what he's getting, what's, what um, James is getting at there is we've talked before about those federal brackets, the progressive brackets that go 10, 12, 22, 24, 32, 37, 35, 37. And you just go look at like, okay, how much more room do we have before we bump up to the the next bracket? Let's go sell some of those non-qualified stock options, which would be considered compensation the moment you do that. Right. As opposed to selling all at once, which might push you up two or three tax brackets. So the other thing to realize, uh, guys, is like James's company that he just, he was kind enough to give me those hundred shares, the $9 strike. And let's say a year from now we come back and those shares are worth um, $50 a share Mm because obviously James is just going to crush it with Rooted Financial. Um, And so when we come back, it's time for me to exercise my 25 options. Now, I don't actually have to show up with $9 a share to give to exercise. We can do what's called a cashless exercise. And when we do that, basically the company that we use to do this transaction, they're going to show up with the $9 for me and I get to keep the 50 between the $50 and the nine. Right. Right. Times the 25. That's my compensation. Right. And if I just do that right away and I don't choose to go show up and buy those shares, it's just considered that that spreads considered normal compensation to me in the moment that happens for a traditional stock option. I'm not going to get into the details of incentive stock options today. Thank you. That'd be a lot. Yeah. But it's but that's but the, I think back to the question, it's the, the reason this matters is, is there a way to ease the tax burden? RSUs, no. Stock options, yes, if you control the timing of it. And, and then it simply comes down to how does the tax strategy also fit into the overall financial strategy, which goes into the next part, which is what are some options that would make sense to reallocate the funds from the sales? Before we go there, there's one little point I want to add for options. Mm -hmm. And that's just that options have two components to them that are of value to you. The time component, like as, as James just mentioned, an option may be available for you for like up to 10 years. And the other thing is that leverage component. And so like what, what James had said before, like we get that 
$9 strike at a $10 value, there's not a lot of value in that option for me yet. So mm -hmm. it doesn't really make a ton of sense for me to just sell that option away. Probably makes sense for me to hold on to it. But as we get further and further and further into the money at $50 a share, that probably makes sense for me to be filling up those buckets like James had mentioned. And then the other component was, and James had already mentioned it, I'm just mentioning again to repeat him because he did it, made a really good point. Make sure you fill up all the other pre-tax things that you can right. before this so that you're just driving down your tax burden before you go exercise into a tax burden. Yeah, there's really not many places you can hide when those options are realized or exercised or the RSUs vest. So it, it comes with how can you uh, take advantage of tax deductions and other parts of your financial life to yeah. offset the gains that you'll get there. And that flows right into the next thing that James was coming into. What are options to make sense to reallocate the funds from the sales? And my answer would be like, it depends, mm -hmm. right? Like, what are you trying to do with this money? Do you know what's most important to you? Because if you know that you want to go buy a house, well, then you're op it's very simple, mm -hmm. right? Like go put it in an online savings account and let it earn nothing because mm -hmm. you need it for a down payment. Where would you take that? Well, it, it, it depends on, I would start with what, exactly what you're saying of what, what is the purpose of this money? Is this money to buy a home? Well, then do what Scott said. You probably don't want to tie that money up in any investments or long-term savings or investment account because you need it immediately. Is, is there debt you're trying to pay off or is there emergency funds you're trying to build? Great. Do that with the money. But assume that all those bases are covered. You have your emergency fund. You don't need it for any short-term goals and you want it to invest it long-term. Well, that's where you start looking at where can you invest it. And we did some options of what tax efficient investment options exist once you've maxed out your 401k. But typically you start with your 401k. So why does that matter? Matters because it's a great place to save and diversify some of these funds, but it's also going to help you offset the tax burden. So whatever you save there helps to offset whatever taxable gain you got when your options were sold or when your RSUs vested. Right. If you've maxed that, you look at your if, do you have a health savings account? If you have a high deductible health plan, do that. Do you look at, does your spouse have a 401k or retirement plan? Consider doing that. If you maxed all that, do you do a backdoor Roth IRA contribution or conversion? Do they offer a mega backdoor Roth? Do they the offer office? a mega backdoor? Yeah. So that's where, and again, we did an episode on this recently that we can attach here in the show notes to reference, but that's where you want to go through almost that order of operations of what makes most sense and how do you make sure you're checking the right boxes along yeah. the way. But the thing I would get at is because you mentioned your like this listeners like I'm a reader, you know, I'm I'm a fire guy, I'm a, I'm a boglehead, boglehead. Sorry, um, it should always come back to what are the main goals for you, right? Not what is what's the answer on the forum, right? Right? Because because that could be wrong for you, right? But there can be an order of operations, but just make sure it goes through the lens of what you and your wife are trying to get at. Yeah, absolutely. And then this ties into the last question is. Or do you have anything else to add on that? Nope. Okay, last question is, my wife has an annuity in her 403B, which I've heard is not a great idea. So can you explain under what circumstances an annuity is or isn't a good option? Well, this ties in perfectly because <laughs> yeah. you said, well, what do you do with those funds? Does it make sense to add some to your wife's uh, retirement plan if you've already, say, for example, maxed out your 401k? Well, maybe or maybe not. It could have great tax benefits, but depending on if it's even good oh. investment option, you might want to avoid it, even if it means foregoing some investment options. So- why don't we start with this? What are your thoughts on annuities inside of 403Bs? Not a fan. Not a fan. Why aren't you a fan? Because you can, you're, when you look at the, the reason someone will try to sell someone an annuity, they'll say you put it in there because of the, the, the tax safe haven will be one of the main points that they give. Mm -hmm. A 403B already is a tax safe haven. Mm-hmm. 
And the thing that I, the thing that, that, the thing that, if, if this person is a, a, bo- a bogglehead, so we're good there. But the thing, the thing that we typically will try to see is you don't want to pay for expenses that you don't otherwise need to pay. Mm-hmm. And an annuity, we got to back up for a second and just talk briefly about what an annuity is. So an annuity at its, at its simplest form is you pay in money to a company who then takes on that money and they give you back a payment stream for the rest of your life when you annuitize something. Mm-hmm. Now, within that, there's a lot of different types of annuities. In a 403B, you're typically going to see a variable annuity, which basically means like, hey, you can put this money in and then we're going to, you can pick some funds maybe to put it into, or we're going to track some funds like the S&P 500, some other things. And then it's going to go up and down with the markets. And then eventually you can choose to annuitize it to receive that cash flow stream back. Anytime you annuitize something, you should always care about the company with which you're working because if they can't actually stay solvent, your annuity is not worth anything, mm-hmm. right? That's one thing. The second thing is annuities are designed to deliver guarantees mm-hmm. and the company can't really deliver a guarantee of a cash flow stream above and beyond what you can more than likely create for yourself if you have some ability to self-regulate. Right. And what I mean by that is we should do an episode on safe withdrawal rates in the future but when you go look at like a company can't over over promise and under deliver. Right. So annuities are designed so that you kind of have to under deliver on the promise. So I have to give you a lower a guarantee I know I can hit. Well, like you could probably hit that guarantee yourself mm-hmm. if you wanted. Now there are times when annuities can make sense. If you know you have a lot of longevity in your life and you want to protect yourself and fixed income rates are really not that great right now and you just want to have that sense of security, that can make sense. But it's really rare. Mm-hmm. And in most companies, most times I see annuities in 403Bs, it's typically been a, a teacher or someone in academia who got put into something that they didn't really understand and they're paying a lot more for than they actually need. Yeah. And that's the challenge on top of all that is typically the expenses are incredibly high to justify these guarantees or lack of guarantees that may not even be necessary. Yeah. You're creating it, a wrapper inside of a wrapper. Yes. And every time you add a wrapper, a you're adding it. expense. Right. It's that, it, that's really that simple. And so we don't know this specific 403B, but just knowing that we've seen a whole bunch of these just in, in our professions, the very, very rarely or even what you might call a good option. Yes. So not knowing this, we would probably say without any level of certainty, it's probably not the best idea. Now, I don't know if it's such a bad plan that it's worth forgoing the tax benefit of saving to that 403B just so you don't have to get stuck with those investment options. Well, but that's something other, to consider. The other thing though is like, for instance, teachers, I, I, I just feel so bad for them. And I, I'm forgetting the name of who on Twitter is always out, like kind of like leading the charge against an annuity-based 403Bs. But he's over at, at Ritholtz Wealth. But but he's he's always adamant about doing this. But just realize that, like like for instance, if you're a teacher in the state of California, there you'll look at like your 403b options, and there will be like 300 investment providers that you can choose from <laughs> before you go choose like what you want to invest in inside of it. And yeah. a lot of them will be crap annuities, like just putting it out there plainly. But then there's like. There are some anu- some 403B options that are very much so like a traditional 401k with really, really low expense ratios that are wonderful options. Yeah. And you have to figure out how to move around in that system. And I feel horrible for you that you have to do that. 
But just know that like, because your wife's in this annuity now, doesn't mean you have to stay in it necessarily. Mm -hmm. There might be better options for you, but you also might need some help to figure that out. Or you you can obviously try to untangle that web on your own. Um, but there's a lot to work through there. Right. Right. So that, that's a tough one to answer because yes, we agree with you. What you've read and heard is probably true. It's probably not a great idea, but without knowing the details, hard to say what exactly to do with it, but something to consider. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I think that's everything. So in terms of looking at tax strategy with regards to the timing of selling options or realizing gains, the what to do with reallocating funds once it's sold versus what options you have with your wife's 403B, any other details we've left out so far? No, I, I think that this is like all of our other um, episodes. It always is. It depends. Uh, <laughs> a little yeah. bit of knowledge sprinkled in on top. But I, but I hope it was helpful for the listener and I hope it's helpful for everyone else at home. And um, we love the questions. Please keep them coming. And um, yeah, if you guys like what you're hearing, please leave us a review. The review is not for us. It's for other people who will find us so that they can get help in their financial lives as well. Yes. Thank you for that reminder. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.